Have you ever thought of turning creepy crawlies into culinary delights? Well, get your knife, fork and your bug bib on. You are the curious, we are the curious audience. My guest today travels the world doing cooking demonstrations using unusual ingredients such as crickets, spiders and dragonflies. You might have seen him cooking up some tasty treats on The Late Late Show with James Corden. My guest today is David George Gordon, a.k.a. The Bug Chef. Welcome, sir. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you've been doing this for decades. You've written tons of books. You've been on television programs. What began your passion for insects and how's it changed? How did you end up eating one of these one day? You know, it's interesting. Um, In 1996, I published a book called The Complete Cockroach. It's no longer in print, but I'm sure you could find a copy if you look. That book told you everything you could possibly want to know about cockroaches, and uh, which was a fun project to work on. But it also turned me on to the fact that people in some countries eat cockroaches or use them as medicine. In China, for example, there are enormous farms raising cockroaches expressly for medicinal purposes. So that really piqued my interest, and I started looking around. This was at a time when the Internet was in existence, but it wasn't what it is today. It was kind of hit or miss in terms of what you could find on the Internet. I spent a lot of time at the University of Washington, where I, near where I live, and um, read a lot in the stacks. And back then, you know, you could pull a, a, an insect journal out of the... Uh, well, you could, you could pull that right out of the, the library stacks. And in there, there might be an article, for example, how people used to eat insects in Japan. In the back of the article, there'd be all these citations for other articles and other research papers on this topic. So it's kind of easy to hop from one to another to another. Pretty soon, I had this enormous folder full of photocopies of articles on this topic, and then a light went on in my head. This would be a cool book to work on, not as a scholarly book, but as a cookbook. So that's how the Eat a Bug cookbook was born right there. I was lucky that I found a publisher who was very eager to publish it, and I spent the next year and a half developing recipes. I have to tell you, I thought recipes, you know, I thought, well, this will be easy. I'll spend a summer working on this you know, just sort of slam together these recipes. But in actuality, there's a whole science to how you write a recipe and uh, put it all in the right order. And is it white sugar or just sugar or what? And that took me so much longer than I would have thought, uh, literally a year and a half to write that book. Uh, That came out in 1998. It was redone in 2013. It was uh, revised and updated And um, it was in print up until last year when the publisher finally decided that 21 years was enough. So that's that's when it went went to sleep. I'm thinking about doing a kid's version of the book now. Oh, that would be really good. Yeah. Yeah, they're the target audience, I think. So you didn't have a background in like uh, cooking or or in the sciences learning about bugs. It was just something that you were ultimately curious and, and captivated you. Well, I'll tell you, I actually studied fish in college. So I have a, a you know, a, a good 
good background in science. But as far as actually cooking goes, that was just something I like to do for fun at home. I took a cooking class in Thailand in how to do Thai cuisine. And that's pretty much my diploma, ladies <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is this one little certificate from a small kind of a vacation-y kind of cooking class. Wow. That's You'll taking- notice if you, if you read my book, all the recipes are pretty simple. If it gets too complicated, I can't make it. So I think that's a good good standard to hold to is uh, keep things simple and make the bugs prominent so you know what you're eating. And you've taken these sorts of recipes all over the world. When you're in different locations trying to cook these, do you use insects that are more commonly found in those locations? I have to tell you, some of the places I've been with my programs, uh, the island of Trinidad, for example, um, or Singapore, uh, surprisingly, they're very averse to eating bugs. They're they're more uh, hard up than we are as far as an attitude goes. Mm. And, uh, well, in Singapore, they told me I could cook with the bugs. This is at a food festival, mind you. I could cook with the bugs, but if I served them to people, I would get arrested. Really? Yeah, they're they're, uh, pretty uh, austere about what you can and can't do. It was humorous because I would go to uh, Asian grocery stores not just around the corner from where I was staying at that time, and they'd have bugs in their frozen food sections. I mean, that's part of the Southeast Asian cuisine. So I could find things like giant water bugs or grasshoppers or things. But as far as actually preparing them and serving them to people, that was not allowed. Wow. What types of bugs do you prefer to cook with? You mentioned cockroaches before. Yeah, I have to tell you, because of my uh, the kinds of programs I give, I'm often cooking for hundreds or maybe even thousands of people. I went to the San Diego Comic Con. That's an enormous event in in California, and helped run a food truck there as a promotion for serving insects. So I'm thinking about insects that I can get in the thousands. I think, you know, I can't just go out and with my net and catch six bugs and keep people happy. So, uh, for example, when I did the Explorers Club annual dinner in New York, I served about $15,000 worth of insects, just for the insects, not for the parsley that went on the plate, just for the insects. And that included things like uh, tarantula spiders, which here sell for about $15 a piece. Really? Wow. Yeah, it was a quite the elaborate event. Uh, all these people were actual explorers in some, or adventurers, and they were adventurous eaters. So it got to be quite the affair. It was uh, people in tuxedos and evening gowns, and it was a very fancy once-a-year event. I was honored to be asked to do it. But at any rate, to answer your question, I need to make sure I can get large quantities of things like grasshoppers, which I can get, or uh crickets or mealworms, some of those things that are sort of staples in the bug-eating world. And maybe if I'm lucky, I can sneak in a few things like centipedes or uh, scorpions or some of these more exotic things that are either served as food or medicine in other cultures. Because like scorpions are are delicacies in, in some cultures. 
Yeah, that's right. And you can actually buy them here. That they're they're actually farm reared in China, so you can get these Manchurian. They're small uh, little guys, uh, dried and and sent off and shipped off in packages. So those are fairly easy to get. The other one that comes right out of the medicine hall that I really like cooking with are black ants from China. I bought some while I was in Singapore, the same place that was banning my cuisine, where they were also selling these black ants in vials on the street. Uh, they're supposedly good medicine. They slow the aging process. And it says right on the package, um, they increase sexual vigor. <laughs> so it's like organic Viagra. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Helps you, helps you stay young and youthful and get you going. That's right. And I've always had ants around the house. I'm actually 112 years old, but you wouldn't <laughs> know it to look at me. You're looking very young, sir. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so do you, what sort of enjoyment do you get of seeing someone who, who clearly has an aversion to eating some of the foods you make with bugs and then tasting it and actually thinking twice about it, enjoying it, and possibly going back for more? You know, I used to give programs for school kids. I'd give school assemblies. And at them, I'd ask the kids, you know, raise your hand. How many of you are adventurous eaters and you like trying something new and different? And about half of the audience would raise their hands. And then I'd say, how many of you are picky eaters? You know, you'll only eat cheese pizza or, you know, peanut butter and jelly with grape jelly, but not with strawberry. And the other half would raise their hands. Um, some people say there are people who are what they call super tasters. They actually have more taste buds or they're more uh, keen to the different tastes. They can tell the difference between a red grape and a green grape just without even looking at it, just by taste. So those people might be a little pickier. They might be going, oh, I'm sorry, but this cricket isn't really fresh. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of evidence that shows that people learn their habits from their parents or their grandparents. It's what we would call a comfort food. Mm -hmm. So we don't, and most of us in the United States um, do not get served insects. So that's not on our comfort food list. A grilled cheese sandwich with tomato soup is definitely on people's comfort list. Yep, that's and that's something they got from their parents. They also get their attitudes about insects from their parents, so studies are showing, or from their peers. And that little kids up to the age of about five have no problem drinking a glass of milk with a rubber cockroach in it. After the age of five, they have a problem. It's like they learn from someone. Don't drink that. That's terrible. So it's interesting that we get all these habits about what we eat and why we eat them from the way we were raised. So for me, I realize there are some people who are never going to try bugs. They just can't get over that aversion or, you know, disgust factor. But there are other people, and I'm happy to say the whole movement uh, kind of around foodieism, people who are really excited about different kinds of foods, Shows like uh, TV shows like uh, Bizarre Foods, Andrew Zimmer, and things like that have made people sort of uh, into thrill-seeking about different kinds of foods. I'm always asked, like, what was the weirdest thing you ever ate? And I have a, a kind of a long list. 
because I'm not a, a timid eater. I'll try different things just for the experience of it all. And um, so it's always exciting for me to see someone who is a little bit timid conquer their fear and give it a try and then realize, wow, that was pretty good. Or at least that wasn't so bad. What was all the fuss about? So that's a thrill for me. I've had a look at, at some of your books. And one of the things that, that uh, really stuck with me and was profound to me was you say that uh, 80% of the world consumes bugs and you know, Europeans, Americans, even Australians, we're in that 20% that don't consume bugs. Ooh. That's Why right. Do you, think... you know, it's eight, the fun fact is 80% of the world's cultures, hmm. which I guess is different than 80% of the population. But you're absolutely right. The vast majority of people around the world eat some kind of a bug as a regular thing. Matter of fact, some people, like, for example, uh, in Korea, where they eat uh, silkworm uh, caterpillars. They don't even consider them bugs. They just think, oh, that's papandegi. That's a food that they really like. It's a delicacy. There are people walking around like street merchants the same way that we might sell popcorn or caramel corn here in the States. There are people walking around selling pandegi and people come out of their houses to buy freshly uh, roasted silkworm caterpillars. So, but they don't consider that a, you know, do you eat bugs? Oh, no, of course not. Just these little caterpillars or whatever. <laughs> so, in Mexico, there are 500 different kinds of bugs that people eat. And it could vary from one village to the next, one valley to the next, what bugs those are. But they are the record holders for the, the uh, most diverse cuisine. And part of that's because they're very connected up with their native. Uh, their indigenous roots. And, you know, the the Indians of Mexico were big on hunting and gathering and eating whatever they could find, not because they were starving, but just because they had a, an unusual palate. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's odd that we, who are in this smaller percentage, <laughs> the 20%, think that's weird, and people who are doing that must be desperate. When in, that, in fact, in fact, it's weird that we don't eat bugs. And that was part of the reason I was in, inspired to write this book was to find the answer to why don't we eat bugs? Do you think it's when I think about it, I was thinking, you know, Western nations have such a, a practice of trying to distance ourselves from I'm actually eating an animal. You know, we we, yeah. we change the name of our food. We we call it beef instead of a cow. We call it lamb instead of a sheep, pork instead of a pig. So we, we there's that constant distance between I'm eating an animal. And with a bug, when you look at some of the recipes, especially like some of the ones that I saw you serve James Corden, where it was a, a deep fried spider or uh, crickets on like a kebab, um, you, you know it's a bug. You can't deny it. That's and, right. A lot of people so say visual. I can't eat it. It's looking back at me. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me if you go to a Chinese restaurant with a party of people and you order a whole fish and they, you know, fry the fish. Someone brings it out to the table. They put it on the table. Everyone stares at it like, now what do we do? And then the waiter comes back with a knife and cuts it up and serves it to everyone. You're absolutely right. We're really, we're used to seeing pieces of a chicken 
uh, usually in the market on, you know, on, on shrink wrap and in on a little piece of plastic. So we don't even see the chicken. And if we did, I'm sure we'd have a problem eating it. The real thing I think, though, is this. Once uh, Northern Europeans got into the whole idea of farming and agriculture, they already did not have lots of insects around to begin with compared to a, an equatorial nation or a tropical nation where there are, you know, you go outside at night and it's noisy. It's not that way here in Seattle. It's quiet at night. And but also they stepped away from the idea of hunting and gathering, and in which case they had lots of lots of different choices of foods. And they started zoning in on a whole field of one kind of crop or a, a farming a practice where they had these uh, what they call feedlots, large numbers of cattle all in one area, almost unhealthy proportions, to tell you the truth. But... In those instances, uh, insects are the enemy. They're actually the only creatures that are in direct competition with people for food. If a swarm of locusts comes by your wheat field, you're in trouble. Um, and if bugs start infesting your cattle or sheep or any of those mammals out there, they're, they're causing trouble too. So the idea of actually eating a bug is kind of like sleeping with the enemy. It's like admitting there's some value in this creature. And we have a lot of fear-mongering in our society. If you have one cockroach in your apartment, you better call an exterminator. You know, rather than think, well, gee, maybe I should just show it outside. That That's kind of the natural, I, I guess, when you think about human nature, we've distanced ourselves so much from, from the natural world that um, people see a spider in their home, even if it's outside. And they get rid of it. They don't seem yeah. to connect that that spider's doing a purpose or. Um, yeah, that kind of yeah. makes me crazy. They'll actually spray the bugs on the periphery of their home, not in the home, just around it, including spiders. And I'm thinking, you guys, the spiders are eating the bugs. Yeah. Why would you want to get rid of them? Um, it's also interesting to me that people who are actually hunt, uh, not hunter-gatherers, but foragers, people who like to go out looking for mushrooms or wild berries or things like that, they're usually a little more adventurous. They understand there's lots of different kinds of foods out there, not just the chicken, beef, or pork kind of choices. And uh, they're usually some of my biggest fans. So when you prepare your recipes, do the recipes clearly show there's a bug? Like, how often do you break up a bug into its parts so that it's just an ingredient rather than a feature of the dish? You know, I actually, that's a really good question because in my book, I really make a statement that I don't want to hide the bugs. I don't want to bury them in sauces or grind them up so that you couldn't tell. You know, you could go out today and buy a cricket energy bar. And I guarantee you, when you bought it, it would taste like a, chocolate or banana or berries or all these different flavors, but you're not going to go, wow, oh, I can really taste the crickets in there, <laughs> even yeah. though it probably has a lot of ground up cricket in there. So we're more used to taking things that, like you said before, you can't see the ingredients. 
and um, and then concealing it even further by adding all these different flavors. I personally want to want to uh, inspire people to be kind of connoisseurs and go, well, I like that kind of grasshopper, but I really like this kind of grasshopper. If you go to these insect-eating nations, that's what they do. They have favorites, or they have different times of year. Even if you read the ancient Greek philosophers, uh, Aristotle, for example, says about grasshoppers, females laden with eggs are the most delicious. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, they, they know these animals, and that's what we should be doing. We shouldn't be trying to ooh, hide it, and uh, we should get familiar with it. What does grasshopper taste like? Is there anything you could um, compare it to that some of our listeners might have eaten? You know, it's a little difficult. To, what what does a chicken taste like? Yeah. I mean, everyone says it tastes like chicken. <laughs> well, what does the chicken taste like? Kind of like a rattlesnake. No, I don't know. Um, I think when I eat grasshoppers, I'm, they actually have kind of a greenish flavor, chlorophyll. So I say they to people who haven't had them, it's like eating a green pepper. Oh, okay. A yep. green bell pepper. Yeah. They're pretty tasty. And if they're prepared well, I mean, you could blow it by overcooking them or concealing them in other foods. But if you make them just right, like the ones I serve on the James Corden show are kebabs, mm. and um, they've been marinated and prepared so that you can see the grasshopper and even taste it, then it's a satisfying experience. When you eat certain bugs, do you remove um, parts like for instance when you ate the the spider do you remove like the fangs or, or anything like that or is does it all break down once you've cooked it well the funny thing is meat is basically muscle you know whether it's a, a wing from a chicken or a, or a flank steak or what have you we're eating muscle there and we like to eat the muscle well the muscle is usually in things like the legs of the spider so when I'm cooking a spider, I might remove the abdomen because that's basically just a fluid-filled sac, not much else of value in there. But I will definitely save the legs and make that the best part of the dish. Uh, the other thing people ask me all the time that's important to note is that most venom, you know, whether it's the spider's fangs biting you or a bee sting or what have you, that venom is actually it's a protein, and it creates an allergic reaction to us. So if you're stung by a bee, you've been injected by protein, our body is freaking out, reacting to it. Well, when you cook the insect or the spider, it actually denatures the protein. That's kind of a fancy way of saying what was, let's say you take an egg, you open the egg, it's a runny thing, but as soon as it starts to cook, the protein is denatured and becomes more solid. So now we're not really being affected by that venom. So it doesn't really have an uh, ill effect. Now, having said that, uh, the stinger on a, uh, a scorpion could be about the size of a you know blackberry thorn. It's not something you want to just eat as it is. But a smaller, smaller uh, scorpion or the fangs of a tarantula really are not going to cause you much distress, especially, and this is important, is only if it's cooked. I always tell people, don't, don't eat raw bugs. You can get parasites and things like that that way. 
but by cooking them, you're killing the parasites and you're denaturing the venom. Uh, you've talked about already um, crickets using them on kebabs. What's uh, the best way to eat like spiders, for instance? What would be your favorite recipe for them? Well, I think in general, the, there's really several different approaches. Um, stir frying is really nice. And actually, I like using a wok a lot, the Chinese frying pan, because it's hot. It's designed to get hot on the bottom, but not so hot on the sides. You can move things in and out of the heat. And it's important for, for your audience to know that when you're cooking bugs, there's a certain amount of moisture inside of them that's sealed in by their body armor. That body armor or exoskeleton actually goes over the eyes of this creature and into its breathing holes. So when that moisture turns to steam, there's no way for it to, to escape. And it will actually make a cricket, for instance, uh, will inflate oh. and then burst because oh. it's been overheated. So keeping them at the right temperatures is important. And also wearing an apron is a good idea, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh so I like I like stir frying a lot, partly because you can really you know isolate the flavor in there and not just make a stew out of it. Um, I also like deep frying. I'm one of these people. Anything deep fried, I'll eat it. That's so good stuff. <laughs> that's what I do with the tarantula spiders. I like to to uh, batter them and deep fry them. And the end result is like soft shelled crab. People are always surprised how much they like that food. You mentioned ants earlier. How do you typically eat them? Well, the ants are already prepared. They've actually been dried in the sun. So when you get them, they're, they don't really need much to, then they're good to go. And I like using them almost the same way you use, you'd use freshly cracked pepper and, oh, and mix okay. it into salads or on, as an as a enhancement flavor and not make a meal out of it. Uh, the other thing I do want to say here is that the idea of having a bug banquet, you can't have every course be bugs. That'd be kind of like going to a chicken dinner and you start out with chicken soup and then chicken appetizers and then chicken and then dessert, <laughs> chicken. Yeah. So so it's nice to have other things mixed in or around some dishes. And a green salad is an easy way to go with that. And the black, black ants, and I have the recipe for a, uh, Chang Bai Ant, which is where they're from, and um, pear salad is a really nice way to add a little variety, to, both in flavor and in texture. You've done um, so many different events and, and shared your passion for, for cooking bugs. What's been some of the more interesting or outrageous reactions to your work? <laughs> Gee, I can't, don't know where to begin on that. <laughs> I personally think the the wildest thing, and you guys could try this yourselves. Um, I like to uh, appear on TV shows, variety shows, uh, cooking insects. You mentioned James Corden. Uh, that was a few years ago. But long ago, my very first cooking demo was on the um, Conan O'Brien show. And I found out that Conan O'Brien is terrified of insects. So he was not at all into this. He very begrudgingly ate a cockroach that I had prepared. And then afterwards, I'm told he threw up. Oh, no. 
Yeah, I know. I, I, yes, ladies and gentlemen, I made Conan O'Brien too. That's 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 going to go in my obituary, I'm sure. It's a good claim to fame. Yeah. But if you, I guess, what I was getting to is, if you look at these earlier shows, um, people were very averse to the idea. In fact, I was on a show called The View. I don't know if you have that one. But the host of that show took out a can of bug spray and sprayed one of my dishes. Whoa! It was like. Can you imagine doing that to like a Portuguese chef or a Szechuan chef? That would be an enormous insult. But for this, it was humor. Mm. So people in the earliest days of my career were not at all up for the challenge. As time has gone on, though, and the rise of foodie culture has taken over, people like James Corden think it's cool. When I was on that show, even the members of the band were eating the bugs and as well as the audience. Uh, the special guests were also, you know, bring it on. And that's to me is a real mark of how things have changed over 20 years. In particular, when you talk about the bugs and, and the different uh, nutritional benefits they have, you know, the crickets having such a high protein intake. And then the ants we spoke about people, it, it helps people get over that visual aversion to food and try it because of the the benefits it's going to have for their body. That's right. There's a lot of evidence that shows that insects are really kind of a superfood. You get all the amino acids, you get omega-3 fatty acids, which are antioxidants. Um, You get pound for pound the same amount of protein that you would with lean ground beef. I mean, all of this is wrapped up in one item. So, yeah, there's lots of health benefits in there. There's also lots of environmental benefits. It just does not take the amounts of food or water that it does to get a pound of steak, for example, to get a pound of crickets or locusts or what have you. Uh, Some insects don't even need water at all. They break down carbohydrates to get those molecules in their systems. So they're way pound for pound, way more economical than anything we're currently raising through our, for protein source through our, our Western practices. Uh, Once people know that and then are introduced to the fact that some of these things actually taste good, then they're they're convinced. Because, you know, you can be as good as you want for the planet, but if it tastes like cardboard, you're probably not going to be interested. (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Eat with your taste buds at the end. I have to break in here. I hope this will work. I have my cookbook here. Oh, fantastic. On the back, I have a nice picture of one of those deep fried tarantula spiders. But I do really want to show you, I hope I can find this quickly, one of the food photographs. My favorite part of this book are photographs. Okay, here we go. And you have these in Australia. These are called honeypot ants. Yeah. yeah. They are, they're actually living storage vessels. You can imagine uh, other ants come to these ants. They feed them uh, flower nectar. And the ants store it. They they live in in caves down way down about six feet underground, uh, where it's cool in the desert, and they store all this flower nectar using their abdomens instead of, of the wine casks. Mm-hmm. And eventually, the ants come back down and say, "We'd like to make a withdraw- withdrawal, please, <laughs> after making our deposits." And they get the honey that way. So these are actually like living honey sticks. Those little things you can buy for kids. Um, they're quite tasty. They're sweet. And you know, just the abdomen itself is a great delicacy. 
The problem is, oh, and excuse me, the Aboriginal people of Australia will eat these. The problem is you have to be ready to dig way, way down five or six feet, have a backhoe at the ready to get one of those out. And in that picture, were they in a, a drink, some sort of a sure. mixture? Yeah, actually, well, they're sitting on shaved ice. So they're kind of a dessert. What's funny, though, is the first time I wrote, you know, the original book from 1998, I found someone who was putting together a museum exhibit with these. And they actually dug up a mound and had a few left over. So they sent me a vial with these honeypot ants in um, alcohol. And I was able to use them. Uh, the second time, I really wanted to get a photograph. And I started looking around, well, where am I going to find honeypot ants? I finally found a gentleman uh, who actually has them as pets, like the same way people keep ant farms. Okay. He has a very large ant farm with honeypot ants. And he said, I, I'll gladly supply you with those, but they'll cost $15 a piece. Whoa. So that photograph you looked at was, <laughs> you're looking at the only person that I know of who spent $100 for six ants. That, yeah, wow. I, I'm amazed by the prices of some of these, but, you know, they're delicacies, aren't they? Yeah. Well, it's all a question of scale. I really believe someone could do a great job if they actually set up their own little ant farm like this gentleman had and started raising them and marketing them like caviar. They're t very tasty. They're very exotic and they're very expensive. So what's not to like? Well, that's a good idea for one of our listeners, one of our entre entrepreneurial right. listeners do, out there. I'll be your first customer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if my listeners want to find out more about your work, have you got anything coming up or any books that they can look out for in the future? Well, I'm always writing something. I've actually written 22 books. I just had a kid's book about uh, called Are You Smarter Than a Shark? that looks at shark intelligence. Um so I always have something going on. And, I'm, you know, of course, the pandemic pretty much put my bug cooking performance career on pause for well over a year. But just now I'm starting to get more uh, invitations to do new ones. Thank heavens. We've gotten past the worst, I hope. And um, so if you go to my website, davidgeorgegordon.com, um, I'll be posting new dates on my calendar there, and people maybe will be able to come to some of these things. Uh, in the meantime, I just finished doing a filming for a very, what I consider prestigious television show called Nova. It's a public broadcasting system, uh, nationally syndicated, internationally syndicated science show, and they're doing an episode on um, on insects as food. And I get to do four different dishes on that program. They're all historic dishes. There's di One of them is from 1885 from a book called Why Not Eat Insects. Uh, one is a Native American traditional dish called pemmican that has ground up Mexican grasshoppers in it. I may have to tell you, after 21 years in print, the Eatabug cookbook went out of print last year. I'm okay with that because I hope to be writing a kid's version of the book. I think the kids are the target audience. They're more courageous than their parents oftentimes. So I'm happy to be looking for uh, opportunities to feed them.
And also, just on YouTube, I have my own YouTube channel now where I'm talking about Vincent Holt, the gentleman who wrote the book from 1885 about why not eat insects. No one knows very much about him. So you probably can find that as my hero, Vincent M. Holt. Well, David, I, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and, and learning more about this. And I know just based off our conversation, I'm going to try and push through that visual aversion and try some some bugs in my uh, diet in the future and see if I can see what that tastes like. Experiment with that. And I hope our listeners do too. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed being on your program. I have to conclude by saying what I say to everyone, bug appetit. Thank you to my amazing guest, David George Gordon, for giving up his precious time. If you're interested in his work, go and check out some of his books. They're really interesting, and he has tons of books directed straight at kids. I've already checked out a couple of his shark books, and uh, one or two of them are coming my way, so I hope to share share them um, with you soon on my Instagram. Uh, Keep a lookout for him on his new program, Nova, which is going to be airing on PBS soon. It's going to be airing in the summertime in the States, so you might be able to pick it up on streaming services in Australia in the wintertime. Keep a lookout. Well, listener, the Curious Audience will be back each Monday from now on. We had a short break due to the birth of my new son, which happened just before the Easter break. I might even share a picture of him on Instagram if you'd like to see that. Um, Leave a few comments to me. Until next time, remember... Tomorrow isn't promised, so make the most of today. Cheers.